Hello listeners, it's Philip here. I'm with my brother Peter. Um, the news of the day is uh, obviously Rafa winning his 12th French Open and 18th major. Um, we're going to recap Roland Garros and the clay season in general and then we're going to uh, preview the grass court season. Um, but before that, because we're moving up in the world as a podcast, we have an ad. Um, so here, here it is. Um, Patrick Rafter, Mark Philippoussis, Tommy Haas. Tennis players can really get you in the mood. Introducing the Shimmer Shaft, a vibrating tennis racket handle for those times at the tennis court you really can't contain yourself. Let first service yourself over and over again for those who win the coin toss and opt to receive. My imaginary girlfriend uses it all the time. Go to shimmershaft.com and use promo code DOUBLETEAMALLY for 69% off. Okay, um, back to the pod. Uh, yeah, so Peter, we, we were just talking about Rafa's achievement um, before the pod. And there are just a lot of questions we've had, like, how do you do this 12 times and just not be bored? Um, also, like, how different is, so I'm 30, three years younger than Rafa. How different is your body from how it was, like, in 2005, the first time he won Roland Garros? Like, uh, it's just an unfathomable achievement, like. Just for how long he's been able to stay at the top of the sport. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, just on that, I, I would contend that nobody's body has changed more. Like, he's gone from being, like, kind of a skinny, springy guy who was clearly the fastest person on tour and who would just run down balls you didn't think anyone could run down. Um, to kind of like a, a, uh, beefy, um, like tank almost who, um, you're sort of, you're sort of worried about him physically. And that when he was 19, he was the biggest physical specimen the tennis world had ever seen. Um, it's a testament to how much he's, his game has evolved over the course of his career and just how talented him and the other two of the big three are. You saw a dip in all of their plays like around when they were 30 years old. And I think that's, that's a like for Rafa, it was probably a little younger for uh, Fed. It was probably a little over 30, but that's kind of a time when someone's, I feel like someone's body really changes. And, the guys had to adapt their games to the ways their body changed. And I, I got to admit when I was Rafa was 22, I thought he wouldn't age well because he's, um, he, he relies so much on his speed and what would happen when he's no longer by far the fastest one. And I would actually like Federer was pretty fast. Team was pretty fast. And Rafa still beat those guys um, this this tournament. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, um, now he's 33 years old. And for context, Andy Roddick retired at 30. Yeah. And he's still winning 
the most grueling major of the four. Yeah, it's insane. Um, one change that he's made to his game, like from 10 years ago, is his backhand is now just a major weapon. He hit, I couldn't count the number of backhand winners. He just hit just laser cross court, either service returns or just midpoint backhands that are perfect angle. And that was just not part of his game uh, when he was coming up. Um, just those changes. Um, and also, like, okay, Rafa's still at the top of uh, clay. Federer is even more insane. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. So Federer made the semis of the French Open at 37, almost 38. Uh, the generations that Federer has combated against, so he's played Sampras and Agassi. He, he played his own generation, which included like Roddick and Hewitt and, uh, and uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero and Safin and those guys. And then he's, like, with Rafa and Novak and uh, Murray and, uh, like, I guess Del Potro is sort of the bottom of that generation. And then he's he's played against uh, uh, Dimitrov and Rayanich and Nishikori and uh, that sort of bunch. And now it's even the younger generation. It's like Kyrgios and Sverev and uh, and uh, and even like the next generation after that, which is sort of uh, spearheaded by Felix at eighteen. Like uh, Federer has just beaten players from so many different time periods in tennis, and has been like. I think his agelessness is uh, a major thing on his uh, his at least current at the moment uh, title of like greatest of all time. Yeah. So Federer's age gap with Felix is not that much different. Um, I think it's still a little smaller, but it's close to his age gap with McEnroe on the other side. And McEnroe never came close to playing against Federer. The, yeah. Uh, Federer needs to win his head-to-head with Felix whenever that happens because there are probably only going to be like three or four matches, and that will be a very frequently referenced head-to-head. Yeah. Um, one, one, uh, one corollary might be, I think McEnroe was like 37 when he played the U.S. Open and Sampras, the first time Sampras won, and Sampras was 19. So that's like, uh, I guess, a similar uh, generation. I think McEnroe was a little younger than that, but maybe. You might be right. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. Like, I'll be on ATPTennis.com and try and like ser- just searching like old school head to heads and wondering. It's like, oh, how much did Agassi overlap with Lendl? And just sort of get a sense for like how that head to head played out. Um, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so Rafa in the final he beat Team, and uh, Team was having an awesome tournament, and he started out really strong, and I was just like, "Wow, this thing's destined for five sets. It's going to be, uh, it might be the greatest match in the history of clay court tennis if it continues like this." 
And then the first two sets were great, and then uh, team's level just dropped. Um, and, yeah, what do you think was responsible for that? I just, I mean, he did have a five-setter yesterday. Um, and it's, it's people attribute, like, getting tired to fitness all the time. But, I mean, you get tired when you play somebody who's, when you play, when you play, for longer than you're comfortable at a level above what what you usually do, and and um, like I guess he'd played with five sets with Djokovic and then two sets with Nadal, and I just think about like when I would play the guy above me on the squash team who was not known for being very fit, but everyone would always tell me it's like oh just tire him out tire him out because I was very fit, but. I was the one who got tired because I was the one playing at a faster pace than I was used to, and I was the one doing all the running. And uh, team, while Rafa was doing plenty of the running, I feel like team wasn't maybe wasn't used to playing at that, that level as mu- as as long as he he had to. Um, and at the same time, uh, it also makes me wonder if Rafa got a little lucky. Um, like what if, like what, how would, how would, what would be, how would all this be different if Rafa had to play Djokovic before team, if like the order, if, if Rafa had Djokovic in his semifinal, um, or if Rafa had team in his semifinal and had to play Djokovic in the final. Yeah. Or if like like, the schedule had been switched so that Nadal and Federer had to finish, uh, Saturday and team and Djokovic were finished uh, on Friday. Yeah, and Rafa's earned the benefit of the doubt, but it, it, he did the the breaks weren't his way this time around, and it makes me wonder almost if team is closer than it seems because those last two sets weren't close. But um, I don't know. It's like he didn't get the breaks in terms of scheduling and just. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's got one big match with Rafa in him, at least, if he doesn't have those those previous matches. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, like, the only explanation I have is the team might have gotten tired, or at least, like, felt it physically a little bit, and Rafa was still fresh. Um the other explanation is that Rafa actually did up his level. Yeah, um, so, so I watched Team's press conference before this, and he just said his level dropped and Rafa's uh, stayed the same, and uh, you can't drop your level against Rafa. But he didn't say why his level dropped. He just said it dropped. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so who are some players who you think um, can take some positives from this tournament, and who are some players who had disappointing results, um, in your opinion? So I'm gonna stick with team for a little, a little bit longer. Um, I think he can take some positives in that he he beat Djokovic, which he didn't do last time. I guess he beat Djokovic in 2017, but he beat like an inform like peak Djokovic. Um, he that the end of that Djokovic semifinal, he almost choked it away and didn't. Um, 
and uh, he got he did better against Nadal this time than he did last time. And he, even though it was the same end result, he was a finalist two years in a row. I feel like he had a better tournament this year. Um, I also uh, one one musing I had was. Uh, I wonder if this makes the uh, Toronto Raptors nervous because uh, of all the people on tour, team plays the most like a lumberjack. He's always just swinging his hardest. And, uh, you know, uh, a loss for team means a loss for Canada. And I wonder if, I wonder if, if Canada's been made more nervous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I guess the other guy who who's not like one of the big boys who Federer I think uh, was moving like magnificently not just for 38 but for anybody and I think he's just going to be a tough out in Wimbledon honestly he might be my pre-tournament favorite for Wimbledon I just did not think he had that kind of movement in him and then um Zverev got to the quarters and like good for him. He he seemed like he was but the thing is he seemed like he was playing very well against Djokovic and he still got chopped in three. It's very well. So yeah, mixed mixed results. <laughs> yeah. Um it's I think a positive tournament for him. He won a few five setters. He got to where his seating was uh it's only his second Grand Slam quarterfinal ever which is insane. Um, and he loves the grass. Um, and so with Zverev, um, I think his like off-court situation uh, is really one reason for his uh, less than um, what he had had the previous few years um, statistics. Uh, he basically broke up with his manager and is now in a lawsuit with the guy. Uh, he broke up with his girlfriend. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's just been having to do a lot of like legal work, a lot of, uh, administrative work on his own. Um, and yeah, this all happened in, I guess, early April or late March. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, one reason for his less-than-stellar clay court season by his standards. Um, but I think he he's um, he's coming around the bend a little bit and getting back into form. At least that's what he says said recently, is that he like gained confidence from Roland Garros. Um, so, yeah, maybe... Uh, Maybe we'll see uh, we'll see him in his top form during grass season. Uh, one thing to note is he's still uh, number nine in the race, which is pretty crazy considering how little we've seen him in later rounds of tournaments this year. Yeah, he's yeah, he's ninth in the singles race. Which, yeah, he's really close to eighth. Yeah. Um. I think one thing that says is just a lot of people have had like one or two good results this year, like uh, Fognini, but very few people have uh, have had it every tournament. Yeah, and I think um, he's also uh, 
I mean, so he's definitely behind the top five in the race, uh, the big three, and then team and Tsitsipas. He would be behind Delpo if he, Delpo were healthy. Um, so, but like, yeah, I mean, we look, we've been sort of uh, hyping up Medvedev all year, and Zverev is is less than a hundred points behind him in the race. Um, another one is another one who deserves some attention is Stan. Stan is now twelfth in the race. Uh, got to his first quarter. Got to his first quarterfinal since his big injury, and really extended Federer. Uh, he took out Tsitsipas. I saw some. I saw early on the fifth set. I just like couldn't believe the end result because he looked like the worst player. Um, and so I wonder how much of this result, how how replicable that result is for him, or if he's actually like almost all the way back. Yeah. I watched a lot of that match, and Stan was playing really well. And then in the Federer-Stan match, it was like he, it was a dogfight. Um, and we saw how well Federer was playing, and Stan was right there. So, yeah, he was actually, you know, he, I was, he was on my list as well for guys who can take positives away from this tournament. And, you know, if he wins Wimbledon, he'll have completed the career Grand Slam. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, who else is who else has you? Do you have thoughts on? Um, a few people. Uh, Benoit Pair. He's had a good clay court season. Um, he took Nishikori to uh, to five. Um, he was serving for the match in the fourth set. Uh, I think he had match points, so it's sort of a bittersweet uh, thing for him because he made the the round of sixteen, but he should have made the quarterfinals. Um, I think David Goffin can have a positive that uh, he took a set off of Rafa, um, Kachanov uh, beating Del Potro. Um, that's a big result for him. Um, and then uh, another guy who had a good tournament is Jan Leonard Struff. Uh, he beat Chapovalov and Chorich. And uh, actually, one guy who, on the flip side, uh, should not have positive take takeaways is uh, Chorich because he had um, a pretty clear road to the at least round of 16. Um, and a lot of people were hopeful that he would... Uh, at least test Djokovic, and he he lost he lost to uh, a guy who's at, who had never really been higher than like late high thirties in the rankings. Um, so yeah, that that was a tough result for him. And then another one who uh, Dimitrov and Chilich uh, they played I think in the second round, and that was just a match of guys who were having nightmarish seasons and one both of them really needed that match and uh dimitrov uh one in five um chilich is like 50 in the race right now he's only had he's only won 500 points this year um he needs to have a a big grass season to maintain his ranking um yeah 
And then another yeah. one is Marco Cecchinato. He was a semifinalist last year. Uh, lost in the first round to Nicola Mahu, who's not even like a, he's more he's like Mahu gets all of his points during like the grass court month. Like he's not a clay court player. Yeah, no, he he won a few rounds too. He got to the round sixteen, I think. Uh, Mahu he lost in the round of thirty-two to Leonardo Mayer. Uh, and Mayer, yeah. I guess he's he's one who we can say had a good tournament because he beat Schwartzman. Schwartzman, I had him beating Federer and getting into the quarters. Um, obviously, the beating Federer call was not, um, in retrospect, not a good one. But I, I thought he would at least get to the round of sixteen, and uh, he lost to Mayer, a fellow Argentine, in the second round. Yeah. Schwartzman is really not. He's he's struggling. He's been struggling. However, he didn't have a big play season. He he might be socking because he uh, he got to the semifinals in doubles with Guido Pella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. That that's actually a a a really um, like a core part to the sock. Yeah. But uh it's pretty incredible. He's five foot seven and apparently an incredibly good doubles player. Because him yeah. and team in uh in one of the clay court tournaments, I think it might have been Rome, they got to the finals, I think. Um Yeah. Um and then Sitsipas, I think he uh he sh- he's he might be disappointed to have lost to Stan. Um he probably is because Clay is one of his favorite surfaces and it would have been cool for him to have had another shot against Federer in a quarterfinal. Yeah, um, apparently in Stan in Sitspas's press conference after he lost, he was just like devastated. Yeah. Which actually says good things for his future. He takes losses like, he really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think uh, that's like a big, uh, a big part. I think of being at the top of your sport is like just hating losing. I remember seeing a YouTube clip of Djokovic when he was like ten or like six or something, just on a court um, in Serbia, and every time he hit the ball out, he like screamed as if he were like being tortured with like a laser um like it's just like in his dna to just he doesn't just hate losing it's like physically painful for him um yeah and i think sitsipas might uh have that same just like guttural reaction to losing um the joke i mean maybe not as strong as Djokovic's, but like like it's pretty strong that's a good point um, so, one, so I guess, uh, should we, should we take our second break before moving on to grass court predictions? Yeah. Um, so obviously we're a podcast that's moving up in the world and we have a second sponsor, um, Ace Condoms, the first condoms made out of tennis ball felt. For those of you who love all, 
often. For those of you who love tennis so much that you want to make love to it and with it, well, now you can. You've never felt better. Go to acecondoms.com and use promo code DOUBLETEAMALLY, one word, for 69% off your first order. Ace Condoms. All right, so grass court season. Um, who are some guys? So, what is that? So I'm just, first off, I'm looking at the Stuttgart and Sertogenbosch draws and a few interesting nuggets. One is that Kyrgios um, is set to play Berrettini in the first round of Stuttgart and then he'll play Kachanov in the second round. And uh, Zverev is the one seed. And I'm wondering if this is a tournament that Kyrgios actually like brings it or not. Um, well, we'll have, we'll have. Uh, it's always, it's always interesting to see Kyrgios after we haven't seen him in a while. But yeah, I wonder if the the hope is always that he's like gotten his shit together and that he's like a different man. And if he was ever gonna like two six weeks to get his shit together and try. It's probably the six weeks before Wimbledon. Um, another nugget is that uh, both Felix and uh, Dennis are playing. And this is the first tournament where Felix is seated higher than Dennis. Felix is the seventh seed. Dennis is the eighth seed. And uh, I, think, I think it was Dennis who, maybe it was both, who won junior Wimbledon. So they've yet to really shine on grass on the ATP yet, but they have the pedigree for it. And uh, Dennis has a uh, revenge match against Jan Leonard Struff in the first round. So we'll see what kind of um, grudge he holds. Struff is on home turf. It's in uh, Germany, though. And I don't know what it is, but guys, just they really do perform better when they're in their home country. Yeah, I was wondering, like, how do you weight Rafa's Grand Slams versus, like, Sampras, who who had the U.S. Open on his home turf? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, like, when your country is hosting a Grand Slam, that's, yeah, it helps out your Grand Slam total. Uh, like, that's the, only, that's the only Grand Slam Roddick ever won. Um, Murray was twice at Wimbledon. Murray's three, yeah, yeah or Wimbledon. Um, Rafter never won the Aussie Open. Did Hewitt ever win? Hewitt never won the Aussie Open. Yeah, that's really surprising. Hewitt never winning the Aussie. But Alex Demenor like is like one of the hardest people to beat in Australia and can't win a match anywhere else. <laughs> no, he just. Can't win a match on anything other than hard court. Yeah, like he came on late last season too. He'll probably have a really good U.S. swing. Yeah, um, but yeah, Struff could uh, could take it in uh, in Stuttgart. Um, I was surprised that Nikola Mahut was not in the Sertogenbach draw because uh, he won it two years in a row and. Which is just kind of like a crazy thing for this guy who who 
is sort of like an easy first round out everywhere except this one place where he's unbeatable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember going through those like results and thinking they were really weird. But if there's anyone who can just double down on weird, it's Nikola Mahout. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't had a great career, but he's had a storied one. It's it's not it's not um, it can't be a fluke that he was part of the Isner match. Yeah, um, with Kyrgios, uh, I'm sort of like okay. There you were you were thinking of the positive potential positives uh, of Kyrgios's grass court swing. I'm thinking like if he doesn't have a good result. Like, I wonder how long it is until he retires. Yeah, we were we were discussing this. I mean, he uh, he has probably the worst attitude of anybody ever, and that's probably not a overstatement. Like, maybe not even in tennis, like in all of professional sports, and and uh, like of anyone with of his talent. Like, maybe there was some douche of, a, like, an NFL player, but maybe not. Um, and the, uh, and it's just, like, some of the things he was saying in that Rothenberg podcast where he was saying, oh, I think the most damning stuff wasn't actually the stuff that made the headlines. It was the stuff about, it's like, yeah, I don't work on my body. I'm probably I probably only have two or three years left because my body won't be able to take it. And you can sort of see it as he's like lumbering on the court. He's 24 and looks like he's 30. He's also um, uh, he like so apparently he like goes out every night during tournaments like while he's still in the draw. Um, yeah. And he sort of takes pride in it. Um, it's not a good look when you just, on the other hand, when there are like guys like Team who are incredibly professional, uh, yeah, curious. You better like start trying if you want to have, um, if you want to like salvage your career and have some great moments. Yeah, I wonder if he brings anyone down with him, because I do think that there are some of the young guys who just think he's really cool. Yeah. And it's like, it won't be Sitsipas because Sitsipas has like a really good attitude. I thought it was funny that he was actually cognizant of not being a negative influence on Sitsipas. Yeah. The guy's too good. I don't want to be a negative influence on him. <laughs> yeah, he was like a little bit self aware in some moments, and then, yeah, not in others. Like, he took his wins against Djokovic at Joker's lowest point a little too seriously. Um, and, like, he was talking about how it's like, oh, on the basketball court, my trash talk to Stan would have been, like, acceptable. I'm like, no, no, it wouldn't have. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, back to grass court season. Um, who are some guys who you think, like, need a good grass court season? And who are some guys who you think are going to, like, have good grass court seasons. So, like, for example, I think 
Kevin Anderson needs a good grass court season. And same with Marin Cilic. Um, do you think those guys are going to have good grass court seasons? Hard to say. They could. Um, but they're not like at the top of my list for Wimbledon contenders. And they're guys who've made finals before. Um, another one, I guess he doesn't need it as much, but I think Isner. Um, he always just... I guess he's just like this lumbering, like unathletic-seeming guy and getting older, but he just sort of continues. Um, he was a semifinalist last year. The uh, I guess um, one guy who maybe we should have briefly mentioned in the French Open review, who I think is really rounding into form, is David Goffin. He, uh, he crushed his two opponents before Rafa and took a set against Rafa. And, like, clay and grass are different. But this is a guy who has been, like, third place in the World Tour Finals before and is at around 30 in the world, has a lot of room to move up. Um, I'm looking at the... Sorry, no... Looking back at the Stuttgart draw, the guy who caught my eye was Sanga. Uh, I think he's like 12th or something in the race this year. And so he's been pretty good, even though he's still ranked pretty low. And he's always been good on grass. Um, Monfils is the one who's like 10th in the race. Sanga's 32nd. 32nd, okay, yeah. And then the uh, I guess last, before I'll, I give, give you the... Uh, the mic. Um, I think you always got to like look at Rayanich too. He's a former finalist in the U.S. at, the, at Wimbledon and has uh, the second best serve in tennis. Yeah. Um, Rayanich was the guy I was pinpointing because, uh, yeah, he has not been able to recover from his injuries. Um, and he's sort of become a non-factor. He's sort of become an afterthought. Um, and I, I think mean, he had a pretty good. He, he beat Zverev in Australia. I think he made the quarters. Yeah, he lost the point. And he made the semis of uh, Indian Wells, I think. So yeah, he's been having like a decent season. Um, but the gr- grass is his favorite surface, um, and his serve it's unreturnable. Um, he needs a big grass court season uh, to really get some momentum because uh, right now he's it looks like he's number 22 in the race Uh, he's a former number 3 in the world Uh, he sees himself as like as like an equal to team in Nishikori in that crowd Um, and he's just that's just not how he's performing um and then, uh, yeah, and then with the big boys, uh, or, or I guess Chorich is another one who I have high hopes for in Wimbledon, just because he's won, he's beaten Federer on grass before. Um, he's won big tournaments, but never really had a awesome showing at Wimbledon. Um, 
and yeah, that's uh, those are the guys I have my eye on. I guess Dimitrov is another as well. Dimitrov and Chilich uh, really need to step up their games just generally, and both guys really like grass. Uh, Dimitrov is a former Wimbledon semifinalist, and Chilich is a former Wimbledon finalist. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of interesting because, uh, yeah, for all of these guys who are having breakout seasons like Sitsipas and uh, Medvedev and uh, Felix, they're guys who are uh, having sort of nightmare seasons like Anderson, uh, Chilich, Dimitrov. Um, so, yeah, it's like tennis success is a zero-sum game. Um and that's uh, the good and the bad of it. Uh, Another one who needs to... Uh, I mean, Delpo made the quarters last year. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think we we may be burying the lead a little bit. Um, I think Federer's got to be the favorite. Either Federer or Djokovic. Um, maybe Djokovic is always the favorite. But those two just looked very, very good and have good recent results on grass. The other two are like the French Open finalists, uh, Nadal and team. And for all those guys who can really step it up on grass, there's probably nobody who you would take against any of those four other than those four. Um, And yeah, I, I guess as a Nadal fan, I'm just like, he's moving great. He's hitting clean. I'm really wondering, like, how well is Nadal going to do? And, uh, I mean, team has had very grass, good grass results in the past. It's like those guys could easily, like, just turn around and have monster Wimbledons. Yeah, I think Del Potro, uh, he looked pretty good at uh, the French Open. Clay, is, he made the semifinals in Roland Garros last year. But Clay is his probably least favorite surface. Um, he's had epic matches in Wimbledon in the past. There was a semifinal with Djokovic in last year's quarterfinal with Rafa. So, uh, yeah, as an Nadal fan, I'm just hoping uh, he doesn't draw Delpo. And I guess it would be the round of 16 because Delpo's ranking has dropped. Um, and yeah, I hope he. I hope Federer is on the other half of the draw. So Federer, Nadal has enough of a cushion against Federer um, in the rankings that Nadal is uh, basically assured to be the the two seed at Wimbledon, and Federer will be the three seed. And so if uh, if uh, if it can be if the semifinal matches or slated matches can be flipped to joker fed and team rafa that would be uh optimal for rafa because yeah i just don't see him beating both federer and Djokovic. yeah good point good point uh-huh. um do you have any more final uh points uh that about does it um we're looking forward to a good grass court swing um Mark is going to join us for the next pod. Uh, to our loyal listeners, uh, all five and a half million of you, uh, thanks for getting this far in the podcast. And uh, until next time, uh, 
Have a good one.